0: Would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to continue what last time we were in Hebrews was the 4th of November. And so it's been a couple of months. And so let's kind of get the juices flowing again as we study this tremendous book. All through the book, the theme is that Christ is better. Christ is better. He's better than anything in the Old Testament, He's better than anything. And so we're seeing that now, his role as a high priest. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1 says For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect or complete, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... Lord, we thank you for this wonderful book in the New Testament that tells us so much more about our Lord and Savior, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is a priest forever, and he's opened that way into your presence. He's our mediator. God, help us to understand these issues today more clearly and how they apply to our lives. This impacts every single portion of the Christian life. So give us understanding. Jesus said your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We ask him now to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand here near the beginning of a new year, I want, I want to ask you to think about something. One thing that you and I must have, it's not an option, one thing we must have in the presence of God is a high priest. Now folks, this may, not, this may be something that you do not think of all that much. Hopefully today I, I think that will change. I hope it will change. This is not a secondary issue to your everyday Christian life. It is a primary matter. You must have a high priest. If you're going to go before God, you must have a high priest and that high priest is your mediator. He is your go-between. He is your bridge between yourself And a holy God. We live under the new covenant and the Old Testament priesthood seems so far removed from us. To read about the priestly garments, the significance of each piece of those garments seems to us almost like it belongs to another world. And it does belong to another time. But I want you to understand today that a high priest is someone that you and I need in the presence of God. Because without a high priest, we do not have sacrifice for our sin. And we do not have one who intercedes for us in our time of need. Now in the Bible, three things were required of a high priest. Number one, there had to be a oneness with the people and identification with the people in other words secondly he had to be appointed by god no man was to take that role unto himself and thirdly there had to be understanding and compassion and what the writer of hebrews is showing us that jesus meets all of those criteria Last time we looked at the book of Hebrews, I opened up the message with a talk about O.J. Simpson. In the interest of continuing chapter 5 with what began in chapter 4, I want you to remember some of my introductory words from that message. 24 years ago, O.J. Simpson led police in a low-speed chase on a Los Angeles freeway in the now infamous white Ford Bronco owned by his friend Al Cowlings. Simpson had been a person of interest in the murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. The nation watched as the former Buffalo Bills running back led police on a 75-mile chase down Interstate 405. CBS News reports that an estimated 95 million people across the country watched some or all of that car chase. Of course, he finally surrendered in his driveway almost two hours after the chase began. And he went on to be acquitted in the murder of Brown and and Goldman in the criminal trial. Of course, in the civil trial, he was ordered to pay more than $33 million to the victim's families. I pointed out at the beginning of that message how that trial showed two great divides with the American people. First of all, there was the racial divide. Many African Americans thought he was guilty but were glad to see that a black man could be found not guilty. But the second divide, maybe the greater divide would be the economic divide because we see from that trial that if you can afford a legal dream team you tend to fare much better in our justice system. What's the old saying about courtrooms? The person who tries to defend himself in a court of law has a fool for a client. Isn't it amazing, though, how people will hire the best defense attorney, the best one that they can afford to represent them in an earthly court of law, and yet before the heavenly court, before the judgment seat of Christ, they think that they can represent themselves. How utterly foolish. The writer of Hebrews shows us in this passage that as Christians Jesus Christ is our advocate before the Father. He is a high priest who represents us and if Jesus represents you, you will not fail. Because Jesus is our faithful high priest, we are to hold fast our confession of faith. We are to hold it fast with boldness and with confidence. And we can be assured that He helps us in our time of weakness. Now folks, we're going to see how this impacts our faith, how it impacts our understanding, how it even impacts our prayer life. Because the Bible says we can indeed cast all our care upon Him because He cares for us. Now please understand a high priest had to be appointed. He had to identify with the people and he had to have compassion. And so we'll see today how Jesus again met all of those. He has a greater ordination, a greater appointment. He has a greater compassion. And he offered a greater sacrifice. Let's see how all of this plays out. First of all, I want you to see this morning the priesthood in general. The priesthood in general. He says, Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself. But only when called by God just as Aaron was. Here he begins to discuss the priesthood in general. And in these first four verses he gives us six things that we need to understand about the Old Testament priesthood. First of all he points out that a high priest is taken from among men. An angel could not qualify. Not even an angel like Gabriel or Michael. An angel could not qualify because there had to be a solidarity with other men. A high priest had to be a man who could represent other men before God. Secondly, he's appointed on behalf of men. Thirdly, he deals in things pertaining to God fourthly he offers gifts and sacrifices fifth he's able to deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided and finally here he points out that he has to be called or appointed to the priesthood folks that's what the role of a high priest was and that's what it involved in the Old Testament a priest was a man who stands between God and men and he was to teach the people about God and so he was God's representative but that's not all he's our representative he represents men before God he carries the petitions and the needs of men before a holy God and so he was a mediator a bridge if you will between God and man Now what's the implication in all this? The implication in all this is that man is alienated from a holy God. Man in his natural state is alienated from a holy God. He's separated from a holy God. I want you to turn back to the book of Genesis with me, please. All the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Because I want you to see the flow of what is going on there. Uh, Talking about man being alienated and separated from God. Look at verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26 Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now go over to chapter 2 and verse 8. In verse 8 of chapter 2, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then something very dark and sinister happens in chapter 3. It's referred to as the fall. The fall. Adam and Eve listened to the serpent and took of the tree of God... The, 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 the tree that God said they could not eat of and what was the result of that? Look at chapter 3 verses 8 and following. What's the result of disobeying God? Verse 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Keep going down to verse 21. Verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life in Eden and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. So what do we see there? We see that mankind is alienated from God because of his sin. And that God placed a barrier in the garden. Drove the man out of the garden and put a barrier there. As Dr. Greg Beal points out, the garden was essentially the first temple. Have you ever heard that? The garden was essentially the first temple where the man and the woman had fellowship with God and spoke with God but now they've lost all of that. Now I want you to fast forward in your minds with me to the book of Exodus. And when Moses leads the children of Israel into the wilderness and God calls Moses up on top of the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. You remember what God said in Exodus 19? He said, Moses, when you go up on the mountain and I meet with you, put barriers, put limits around the base of the mountain so the people will not try to come up. If they try to come up, they will die. In fact... Even if their foot touches the base of the mountain, they will die. Now please stay with me. Man was cast out of the garden and now Moses was meeting with God. And God said, the people are not allowed to approach me. You fast forward to the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle there were those areas that only a priest could go. And then there was the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go on the Day of Atonement one time a year. When the high priest was preparing to go into the Holy of Holies he had to make sacrifice for his own sin and then he would make sacrifice for the sin of the people and he would enter into the Holy of Holies to meet with God and he would put the blood on the mercy seat. And when he did that, God's anger against sin would be propitiated. It would be taken away. God's anger against sin would be appeased. It would be satisfied. So again, there was alienation from God. They could not go into the presence of God. They had to have a representative who had to make sacrifice for his sin and then For theirs. He had to be taken from among men. He had to be a man, and as a man, he would represent people in matters related to God. He had to be appointed. No man could take that role unto himself. Now, folks, bear with me this morning. I'm giving you broad strokes in the interest of time. Obviously, I'm not going through every Old Testament text showing you every detail about the priest, every detail about the high priest, and every detail about their garments and the significance of everything. That would be a detailed study in and of itself. So again, bear with me. I'm painting with broad strokes. But verse 4 here points out that this was a post to which a man was called. No one could appoint himself as a priest, let alone appoint himself as a priest. As high priest. You remember what happened to King Saul when King Saul tried to take that role unto himself? What did God do? God took the kingdom away from Saul. Uh, yes, from Saul. And then remember Korah? Korah and his fellow rebels who tried to make themselves priests and God judged them. You remember what God did in number 16? He opened up the ground and he swallowed them. And then King Uzziah tried to enter the temple and burn incense. And what did God do? God smote him with leprosy. And so the priesthood was a position that a man had to be called to. It was an appointment by God. Aaron was appointed by God. He was chosen from among men to minister for men, to represent men. And then this was a position that was passed along to his eldest son and so forth down through the tribe of Levi. Aaron's main task was at the altar. He was to offer the sacrifices that God had appointed. Unless the sacrifices were offered in the right place by the right person, they would not be accepted by God. Now folks, the whole Old Testament sacrificial system and the priesthood shows us something. It shows us that man is sinful. Man is estranged from a holy God. He's alienated. He's separated from a holy God. And he cannot save himself. He cannot represent himself before a holy God. He cannot offer the appropriate sacrifice. Somebody has to do all of this for him. He has to have one appointed, one worthy to do it for him because he himself is not worthy. He's estranged from God. And without a mediator, he will remain in that hopeless condition. What I want you to see this morning is this is where the majority of men have lived and continue to live. They are estranged from a holy God. Jesus said the road to destruction is broad and that's where most people are. Some people think that they can even go into into God's presence on their own the way they are. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it will not happen. Man is desperately in trouble. He needs a mediator between himself and God. I'm wanting you to feel the weight of this. This morning. And as verse 2 says, the high priest was able to deal gently with the people because being a man himself, he's subject to the same struggles and temptations in life that every other person is subject to. Now... You read the Old Testament, what it says about the life of a priest. He was to be holy. He was to be very sober-minded and serious. And there was to be a certain dignity about his life. You read the same in the New Testament about pastors. There's to be a spiritual maturity, a sobriety to our lives. There are qualifications. We are just one of the guys and yet we're not to be just one of the guys. You follow what I'm saying? Qualifications. I mean just read 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus But even with a man meeting the qualifications There is still the issue that a man of God is human And he is subject to every sin and weakness and temptation Just like everybody else What's the old saying? A preacher puts on his pants just like the next man We struggle over the same things you struggle over. We get discouraged. We agonize over our kids. We agonize over our grandkids. We worry about the very same things you worry about. And Paul said to the Corinthians, on top of this, on top of just worrying about the same things the average man worries about, he said, on top of that, I am concerned. There's anxiety in my life about the condition of the church. And his estrangement from God has to be dealt with just like anybody else's does. He is every bit as much in need of redemption from God as the next man. And so in the Old Testament he had to kill the animals And make sacrifices for his own sins too According to Leviticus 16 on the day of atonement He would have to slaughter a bull for his sins And for those of his household And on the same day he would slaughter a male goat For the sins of the people And so to summarize about the Old Testament high priest And what's being said here in the first four verses He was selected by God from among men He was not self- Appointed, He was a mediator between God and man. His own sin had to be addressed and dealt with. He offered sacrifice for the sin of the people. And he could cry and he could struggle with people over things in their daily lives. Because he faced those same things. We're all in the same boat. Estranged from God. Having sin that's got to be dealt with. The book of Hebrews will go on to teach us that the high priest and the people had other challenges too. The high priest would die. Another one would have to be appointed. The sacrifices had to be offered again and again and again because none of those sacrifices were perfect. Because the sacrifices were not perfect, they would temporarily cover sin, but they would not take the sin away. And so, under the old covenant, everything was temporary and everything was incomplete. Everything temporary, everything incomplete. But God kept promising the people that something better was coming their way. And so, He was saying to them essentially, hold on, be faithful. Something better is coming, something permanent. Something complete. Now let's turn a corner. Remember what I said about the book of Hebrews? Who's the book of Hebrews centered upon? Jesus. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. And so look beginning at verse 5 of our of our text here. Beginning in verse 5, what does he say? So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So I want you to see secondly, Christ's priesthood. And he's going to say three things here. Now hang on, we're going we're to apply all of this to us, okay? What's three things he says? First of all, Christ was chosen by God. One cannot help but think of the baptism of Jesus. At the baptism of Jesus, what did they hear? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Nothing like that was ever said of Aaron, even though he was called and appointed to his position. God never said to Aaron or any of Aaron's sons, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Also in John 8, John talks about Jesus being chosen and sent. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. The New Testament makes clear that Jesus did not appoint himself. Even the best known verse in the New Testament points this out. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now I want you to look at what the writer of Hebrews does here. He quotes two passages that the Jews themselves knew to be messianic. Verse 5, he quotes Psalm 2-7. And what's interesting about Psalm 2-7, as it's quoted in the New Testament, it doesn't simply refer to the birth of Jesus, but also to the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, in accepting Jesus' presentation of himself, which was the perfect sacrifice, the Father accepted the sacrifice, raised him from the dead... Confirmed his sinlessness and God's divine choosing of him. And so, what this means is that Christ's high priesthood was superior to that of Aaron, where the sacrifices were not perfect. Under Aaron, they were not perfect, they had to be done over again. Then he quotes Psalm 110. This again shows that Jesus' priesthood was superior to to Aaron's. Jesus is a priest forever. Aaron's priesthood was dissolved at his death as every other priesthood was. But in raising Jesus from the dead and Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father means that his priesthood never dies. It goes on forever and ever and ever. And that's what Psalm 110 proclaims. God is saying that the priesthood priesthood of Jesus goes on in heaven throughout all eternity. There will never be a time that Jesus is not there to make intercession for you. He ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. On top of that it's a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Now we're going to get into Melchizedek in in chapter 7 but suffice it now to say that Melchizedek was both king and priest. He was the king of Salem, Jerusalem, and yet he was priest. In the erotic priesthood, the two offices were separated. They were not combined. But bef- that was before the law was given. I, I mean before Melchizedek, was before the law was given. And, and in Melchizedek, the two offices were combined. And Christ is a priest after that order. Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. And he's our high priest. You say, okay, so what? So what? Really? You have a high priest before God who never dies and he is God's appointment and he offered the perfect sacrifice for sin. You and I never have to worry whether Jesus can do what the Bible says he can do. He is God's appointment. You never have to go looking for somebody else. You say, but isn't he God? Yes, he's the God-man. He's the God-man. So in eternity past, Father, Son, Holy Spirit decreed the plan of redemption. The Father purposed it. The Son accomplished it. The Holy Spirit applies it. And so I want you to see what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Because his audience was thinking about going back to the Old Testament system, they were going to leave the church and go back to Judaism and go back to the temple. And his point is the Old Testament system pointed to Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all that. So that now God is not even dealing with people on the basis of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant has now been rendered obsolete. And so if they go back to the temple, if they go back to the Old Covenant, they will not find God there. God meets with his people through his Son. And so to turn away from Jesus Christ means to turn away from God. To turn away from Jesus Christ means to turn away from God. What about today? To look for God, to look for salvation in any other way other than Christ would be completely futile. Folks, we live in a very diverse world. But you hear what the scripture is saying here. There is only one way to know God, to go into his presence and to have your sin dealt with and forgiven. And that way is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There are not self-appointed or self-designated ways to know God. For somebody to reject Jesus Christ, I don't care how spiritual they claim to be, to reject Jesus Christ would mean that they continue in their separation and alienation away from a holy God. And folks, when we talk to our friends and family members about God, what does this mean? This means that we ultimately have to work our way in the conversation around to Jesus. If you are talking to your friends about God and your conversation doesn't eventually get around to Jesus Christ, you are missing the entire point of the Bible. I want to encourage you this year. To pick up your Bible, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, we learn about Jesus Christ anywhere in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. You remember what Jesus said to those on the road to Emmaus? He took the Scripture in the Old Testament and showed how everything in the Law and the Prophets pointed to Him. So, Jesus is all over the place. But, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles out and study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, over and over. and over again read them read them again then read them again and then read them again and read them in different translations because who are we learning about in the gospels we are learning about the one who is king of kings and lord of lords we're learning about the person and work of Christ in the gospels Would you begin even today reading your Gospels over and over and over again? Remember what Hebrews 10 is going to say. Remember the high priest who would go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies. When Christ was crucified on the cross, what happened to the veil? It was torn, leading the way through Christ into the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies. That's what Christ was doing. And the writer of Hebrews is going to point that out. That all of us now, because we have Jesus as our high priest, whoever liveth, we can go into the very holy of holies. And he says we can go boldly and with confidence. Through Christ, you will have peace with God and forgiveness of your sins. He points out in verse 7 that he interceded. In the days of his flesh he agonized the way we do. We cry out to God with prayers, with supplications. We cry out to God with tears. Jesus did the same. And in Luke 2, 52, it points out that Jesus knew what it was like to grow and to mature. He experienced hunger and thirst and weariness. He faced temptation to sin. He, He didn't sin, but he faced temptation. He endured persecution from sinful men. In the garden of Gethsemane, he cried out to the one able to save him from death. God was able to save him from death. And yet Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. And verse 7 says, the father heard him. Even though Jesus suffered and did die, God heard him. And he points out here, he showed reverent submission. He was the son of God, God the son, the son of God, and yet in his flesh... What did he demonstrate for us? He demonstrated reverent submission to God. God heard him in our prayers. In your prayers, in my prayers, there must be reverent submission. If there is not, we should not expect God to hear our prayers. Jesus gives us a model in our prayer life. Now notice here that God heard him. God heard him. And yet, what happened to Jesus? He went to the cross. Jesus said, if it's possible, let this... cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. Just because God doesn't answer your prayers the way you might like, that does not mean that God has not heard you. If there is reverent submission to the will of God, God hears you. If you're selfish in your prayers, if you're greedy in your prayers, there is no reason to think that God hears you in the sense of answering you. Folks, I want to emphasize this because sometimes Christians today think God is distant and God doesn't hear their prayers because they didn't get something from God that they asked for. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was not spared the cross. The cup did not pass from him. And yet, God heard him. And so to follow the model of Christ in our prayers, there needs to be that reverent submission where we say, not my will, but thine be done. I wish I had time to talk more about this. Jesus was never disobedient. He never sinned. But the scripture says he learned obedience through suffering. It's speaking there of the humanity of Christ. You say, wasn't Jesus obedient? Wasn't he perfect already? Yes. But remember in the incarnation, what did he come as? He came as a man. And the Bible says as a man, he learned submission through, he learned obedience through suffering. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that God may let you go through something so you can turn around and minister to somebody else who's going through that. And you can do so more effectively. Here's a couple in the church praying for a baby. And they find out they're pregnant. 16, 17 weeks into the pregnancy, there's a miscarriage. They're grief stricken. God gets them through that. Two, three years down the road, another woman goes through that. She's heartbroken. Who's going to be better to minister to that woman? Me or the, the one who's already been through that? The woman who's already been through that. Would you rather have a Savior who only sent you a Facebook post from heaven? Or do you want a Savior who really came to earth and walked in your shoes without sin? What kind of savior do you want? I want one who came in the flesh. So much more to say. This morning as I've said. You need a high priest before. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have a high priest. You are on your own. Which means you are in deep. Deep trouble without Christ you're in deep deep trouble because you have no representation before holy God and you have no one who has offered sacrifice for your sin that's been accepted and Jesus sacrifice never needs to be offered again You need to come to Christ. If you're in Christ, not only are your sins forgiven, but you have one who intercedes for you. What cares do you have? What worries do you have? You can cast them upon Christ. Why do you bear them alone when you have a perfect high priest who makes intercession for you? And church... Who should be the topic of our conversations about God? Jesus. In all of our witnessing attempts, we need to bring the conversation to Him. Learn more about Him. The more you and I learn about Him in His Word, the more we love Him and the more we are grateful for the fact that He did for us what no one else could ever do.